And I was out on a long run one day. I, I was about two and a half miles out and made my turn to go back. And for, quite frankly, I was pretty exhausted that day. And I thought to myself, hey, no one's going to come along and pick me up and get me home. It's just one foot in front of the other and I'll get back. And a phrase hit me that I've used to describe CEOs. And I think this describes thought leaders also. It's not lonely at the top because lonely has a connotation of boo-hoo, woe is me, tears of a clown. It's alone at the top. If you're not seeking the counsel, guidance, wisdom of others, then you're just setting yourself up to be alone at the top. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an exciting guest lined up for you today. My guest today is someone that I saw do a talk at my tech group. Tech is a CEO organization that I belong to here in Canada, outside of Canada. It's called Vistage. And this gentleman has got to be one of the sharpest people I've ever seen deliver life-changing and game-changing content in my entire life. I'm speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Jim Canfield. Welcome to the show, Jim. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, Nikki. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure, man. My pleasure. Jim, my listener to this show is a man or a woman who's a thought leader or an aspiring thought leader. They love what they do. They are passionate about what they do. They're very good at what they do, but they, they hate selling. They're not sure how to grow their business. And they come and listen to this show because they want to learn from you, our expert guest, how you got to be the great Jim Canfield, this world-leading thought leader, making a massive difference. And they want to learn from you. So tell us your backstory. How'd you do it? Yeah, so a couple of things. I started out in my 20s, built a business, sold it started in another one, built that and sold it. And I was relatively early in my career still, in my early 30s, when I heard about the whole CEO peer group movement that you had just discussed. And Tech Vistage was really in a growth phase. I joined them first as a group leader, and then later joined the executive team in San Diego as a VP, and then later as chief learning officer. And I learned a lot of things about CEOs and, and what, what drives them. And I think it goes to really understanding your audience a bit. So that, that was one of my big takeaways that I'll share with your group. I led CEO groups. I helped others build them. I've helped over 500 people build and lead their CEO groups and went on to be a CEO of another peer group company. And then, as you know, most recently have written the book CEO Tools 2.0, sharing what I've learned from my own experiences as a CEO and from hundreds of others that I've stood side by side with. That's a heck of a story, my friend. And what I really love about your story is 
you're not just coming at this from an ivory tower perspective. You've actually lived it. You're someone who has been a CEO, has built a company, and now you've decided to dedicate your life to helping other CEOs do it right because being a CEO can be a lonely profession. And one of the things that we say inside this podcast and inside my company, eCircle, is don't do it alone. Doing it alone is the kiss of death to your dreams. What say you to that statement? Uh, 100% agree. You know, it's really funny. I hear a phrase a lot attributed to CEOs, and that phrase is lonely at the top. And for many years, I, I used that phrase. I did, used it to describe the CEO experience. And I was out on a long run one day. I, I was about two and a half miles out and made my turn to go back. And for, quite frankly, I was pretty exhausted that day. And I thought to myself, hey, no one's going to come along and pick me up and get me home. It's just one foot in front of the other, and I'll get back. And a phrase hit me that I've used to describe CEOs, and I think this describes thought leaders also. It's not lonely at the top, because lonely has a connotation of boo-hoo, woe is me, tears of a clown. It's alone at the top. If you're not seeking the counsel, guidance, wisdom of others, then you're just setting yourself up to be alone at the top. And there's so many ways to tap into from podcasts like this to face-to-face meetings, opportunities to learn from other people. You know, I, I don't think they all have to be expert experts. Sometimes I can learn a lot from someone who's just two chapters ahead of me in the book because they may have walked ground that I'm going to walk next. And then other times I want to know someone who's been over that ground two or three times. So I would encourage everyone listening to reach out learn from others, and really surround yourself with a healthy, growing learning community. That's a very powerful distinction between lonely and alone, right? Lonely, as you said, really is an emotional state. And there's people that can be surrounded by people yet still feel lonely. But the biggest challenge a CEO faces, the biggest challenge a thought leader faces is that they are alone. They often do work in a very solitary environment. And having peers that you can learn from can help you make a decade's worth of progress in in days. Wouldn't you agree with that, Jim? Uh, No question. No question. The insights that can be gained from someone looking at your business objectively without the emotional connection that you described, uh, we can get so attached to a piece of content or a way of thinking or a direction that someone else takes a look at and says, yeah, you know, I get why you love it. And have you ever thought about it this way? And it can create the kind of pivot that really takes things from being good to green great. Well said. Well said. So, hey, let's talk about your book, CEO Tools 2.0. What's this book all about and why is it important for people listening to this podcast to pick up a copy for themselves and, heck, pick up four or five more and hand it to their (laughs) friends? Yeah, I agree. Look, I think it's a handbook for how to lead, run, and manage a company. And I think those are all different things. You know, leadership is about getting others to see where you're headed and then engage them sufficiently to come along with. Running a company, well, that's nuts and bolts stuff. How do we do a little better today than we did yesterday and a little better tomorrow than we did today? And then when I think about building a great company, that's a whole different thing. Because that's where we've got to depend on scale and leverage and really getting people involved. And I I really think this book has methodologies, tools, 
examples that everyone from a company that's 200,000 to 2 million to 20 million to 200 million can benefit from because all the tools are, are highly scalable. You know what, Jim? I 100% agree with you. And I remember when you delivered your talk to us at Tech, you had a slide up which basically um, put up some startling statistics. So mm -hmm. I think one of the stats you had was that fewer than 10% of all companies make it to a million dollars a year. That's, That's right. like less than one in 10 of all companies that ever get started. And I think it was something like less than 1% of all companies get to $10 million. Could you unpack that slide and deconstruct it for us and why it's no, you, important you got it exact, for us? You've got it exactly right. 15 million businesses in the U.S. and Canada. 15 million. And the way I like to think about that, Nikki, is 15 million people woke up trying to run, build, grow, some cases save a business. And of those, you're right, 1.5 million or 1 in 10 will make it above 1 million in revenues and 10 employees. So wow. the vast majority of companies out there are, are very small companies. And, and unfortunately, will likely stay that small because they haven't solved some of the basic fundamentals needed to scale the business and grow the business. And then we get to the ones who make it to the next stage. Well, that is one in 100, make it above 10 million in revenues and 25 employees. And this is a significant break point because what I've noticed looking at these high single digit millions and up to 10 million in revenue, you still have a business that is almost 100% driven by the owner, CEO, founder, that person at the top, and everyone else is reporting into them. And if you picture an old fashioned garden rake with all the people reporting into just one circle at the top, that's what it looks like. And you can see the obvious challenge with scale, that can only get so wide before it becomes unwieldy and unmanageable. So to get to that next level, which is where most people are going with their companies, it requires a really highly effective management team. And this can be a challenge for companies that are, that are early in their development on who to pick, how to choose. Oftentimes, people get selected out of the existing employee base, and they're the people who either do the best job or have been around the longest. And notice neither one of those characteristics were the person who manages people the best. And that's really the make it or break it characteristic in that next stage. And then I think a lot of companies have a goal of getting to 100 million in revenue. They see that as having made it when you hit that 100 million mark. And it's one out of a thousand companies that will actually make it to that level. Wow. One out of a thousand. So you said there's 15 million companies in Canada and the United States. Yep. 1.5 million make it to a million a year in revenue, 150,000 make it to 10 million, and only 15,000 companies make it to $100 million a year in revenue. That absolutely blows me away. So what are the characteristics of companies at that level, and why is that an important milestone? You know, I think at that point, you have a true enterprise, and, and you've really got some gravitas in the marketplace. You're starting to make some really significant decisions about where the company goes. Um, there's a lot of things that come into play um, at that level. A lot more choices are available to you. And like every one of the levels, there's also a shadow side at, at 100 million and, and above at that enterprise level is those companies can stagnate. You know, they, are, they start to have something to lose and they start to lose their risk tolerance and they become more defensive 
in their strategies when it doesn't work as well. Most of those companies have to make a decision whether to invest in a new growth curve or whether to divest and actually look at whether the company has made it to a point where it's valuable enough that it's a good opportunity to sell at this point. Usually, it doesn't mean the companies are going to go out of business immediately, but but they usually have to make some strategic choices going forward about new products, new markets, new directions that may have been unfamiliar to them in the past to continue the kind of growth that they've had to that point. And some can do that and others can't. Wow, Jim, that's amazing. That's actually really profoundly insightful. So 15,000 companies make it to 100 million. What's the next level? It, the, the air gets really thin above that level. The next level would probably be over 500 million, half a billion, and then beyond that, a billion dollar company. And I don't have those statistics, but I can tell you that we would probably see the same kind of drop off that we saw between 10 million and 100 million. So you're, you're talking about probably there's 15,000 companies that make it to 100 million a year. And if you're starting to look at a half a billion, if, if we extrapolate, that means there's probably Couple twice as many. Yeah, 2,000 companies that make it there or maybe 1,000 companies that are a billion dollar a year companies. That's right. Incredible. Incredible. So, so Jim, these CEO tools that you've outlined – can you walk through a couple of them and how our listener can start applying them? And remember, most of the folks listening to this podcast are, are smaller company people. These are like uh, thought leader types, coaches, consultants. There are a few folks who uh, have uh, more substantial companies, 5, 10, 15, $20 million companies. So let's keep the discussion targeted around some of the problems that these folks are facing and how they can overcome them. Sure. The funny thing I've learned in, in coaching companies of all sizes, Nikki, is the problems don't change that much. The solutions may change because a smaller company may not have the resources to implement a solution that a larger company might, but the problems remain the same. And, and I'll drop them into three broad categories, and, and it's an acronym that I use for CEO, which is communicate, execute, and then optimize. And, and briefly, what I mean by that is anytime meaningful change is going to occur in any size organization, the very first question is, what and how do I need to communicate this change? And, you know, if I'm a solo practitioner, how do I articulate it for myself so I'm clear? This first step of communication provides clarity. And I would say it's the number one thing that I see trip people up. They, they have a loose definition in their head about where they want to go, but there's no detail behind it. There's no multi-year plan to get there. And as a result, people often find themselves at the end of the year where they started. And, and that, can, that can be true very often. After you've articulated where, the setting the direction of where to go, now we need to do it. And that's doing the work, execution. But the biggest part of execution, I think, is identifying and tracking a set of metrics that provide ongoing feedback about what's working and what's not and then making appropriate decisions based on that feedback. So if, if I'm getting feedback that my metrics are showing that something's working, I may leverage that direction or double down on it from an investment perspective. If I am starting to get feedback that, a, that one of the directions is not working as well, I wanna debrief it, analyze it, look at what I need to change to get better results than I'm currently getting. 
and it's an ongoing system. I think about it like a scoreboard in a, in a sports or football game that's giving me ongoing feedback, not only about the overall score, but my individual statistics. Am I gaining ground rushing? Am I gaining ground passing? If so, do, do, is there an adjustment that needs to be made? Am I converting enough third downs? There's a series of, of, of metrics inside of the game that I know if I'm doing better on those metrics, I've got a better chance of winning. And I think hitting goals is just another way to describe winning. Well, once I get past that, the third stage is optimize. Optimize means how do I keep it going over time? Do I have the right people on my team? And those could be employees or they might be partners or, or even vendors that I've, that I've outsourced part of my operation to. Do I have the right players to make this work and keep winning? And is it allowing me the time and energy I need to continue to grow? Do I have the right processes and systems in place? Is this reliable and repeatable over time in a way that gets me results that are consistent? And then last, and this is a bit of the secret sauce and optimize, is celebrating successes. You know, whether you got a thousand people, a hundred people, 10 people, in your organization or it's just you. Organizations thrive when they focus on celebrating successes. In fact, one of the successful CEOs I interviewed for the book told me that those first few steps, well, that was the engine that drives growth, but it was the celebrating successes that provided the fuel for the engine. And that could be as simple as if you hit a certain target this month, you're gonna go out to dinner with a significant other. Over a quarter, if you hit that target, you may go on a long weekend. And then for an annual target that you, goal that you hit successfully, perhaps it's a, a big purchase or even a big trip, trip of a lifetime. Someone was just telling me earlier today they had a week-long trip that was a li lifetime kind of trip for them going to Italy for a week. And setting up those, those successes so that we don't just rush into the next period, the next month, the next quarter headlong without taking a minute to debrief and then celebrate what did go well. Jim, I really like what you're selling here. It's powerful stuff. Celebrations are very, very important. So it's good to be able to celebrate with the people in your life that matter to you. I think it's actually critical to be able to do that. But how do you celebrate within the organization with your teammates? Yeah, this is really fun. I think there you want to set up two ways. First is to set up a series of games. So the organization is playing a game at all times or different departments are playing a game. I, I firmly believe that people are hardwired to play games to win. I just think it's built into our DNA. In fact, most of us can recall a time that we played games as a child with our parents or, or as a parent, we played games with our children. And what a formative part of the learning experience about how the world works and how competitive natures can show up. And I think that the more we can build those games in so that people feel that there's a an outcome, sometimes over maybe the course of a week, other times a month, then a quarter, and something happens. Um, it may not be a big outcome, it, but, it, but it could be something relatively small, but, it, but meaningful. There's a little cheat sheet I'll give the listeners on celebrating successes. It really comes down to rewards, appreciation, and recognition. And I say it's better if you're mixing those up, that sometimes the outcome 
maybe a reward, large or small. Other times, it's an accolade, a, a sense of appreciation. Somebody cared that I did what I did. And then recognition is simply a more formal version of that where we standardize the type of recognition that someone receives um, in the form of a plaque or something like that. And I think if we mix those up, then people start to feel appreciated. They start to feel like the work that they do has meaning and that both of those are important to keep people engaged at the, in the workplace. Jim, I love it, man. You know, one of the things I really like about you is that you actually speak in complete sentences and paragraphs and your thoughts are coherent and well articulated. Bravo. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. So, Jim, here at the Thought Leader Revolution podcast, we exist because we're here to serve thought leaders and aspiring thought leaders. Most of the people that are attracted to our message are really, truly experts at what they do. They're very, very good at delivering a particular result and solving a particular problem for their clients. However, far too many of them hate, hate the idea of selling. In fact, they, it gives them, you know, the willies because they start to think, my God, what if people think I'm pushy? What if people think I'm one of those, you know, sleazy, slimy salespeople types? And they don't like it. And the dilemma they're faced with is, how do I put myself in a position where I can keep doing this great work that I'm doing and not have to sully myself with what I perceive to be a not so pleasant business of selling because I don't want to come across as being pushy. I don't want to come across as being sleazy. It's a big challenge that most people run into that are attracted to this podcast, that are attracted to my company and the kind of work that we do. And what we have to say to that is, hey, listen, you know what? You don't have to sell the way that you think you have to sell. The traditional, old-fashioned, pushy, 1950-style fuller-brush salesman or fuller-brush saleswoman type of selling isn't what works today anyways. You can sell in a way that doesn't seem like selling. I know that you are a thought leader that works with CEOs, but I know that you have a lot of good intellectual property and processes that you've developed around selling. I'd like to get your comments, especially as it applies to our listeners. Yeah, I, I think you hit it right on the head. You know, I go by the old adage that um, most people don't want to be sold, but everybody likes to buy. Mm. We, you know, we've all had the experience of, of choosing a purchase, large or small, and being excited about it, interested in it, and sharing it with others. So I think if we have that in mind, two things that I would share is I found the best way to sell is to be deeply curious and really curious about what does the other person do? What's working for them? Where are their challenges? What would they like to change if they could? More details around what they do, how they do it. You know, where are they running into issues that, that might be able to be resolved? And by being really curious like that, I think the selling opportunity really turns into a mutual decision to move forward more than a pushing them to make a selection or a choice, particularly, I think, as it relates to thought leadership and, and consulting and coaching. 
I, I truly believe that the decision to work with a client for me is, is largely a mutual decision that we've come to at the end of a discussion. I met with a what was a potential client when the conversation started, and at the end, we came to a solution that he would like to implement with me. And, and the statement or the question at the end was as simple as, so let me ask you, where would be a good place for us to start with this? And that doesn't sound like a pushy sales tactic, does it? You know, it, it seemed like the logical con- conclusion to a healthy conversation about some of the challenges and opportunities that that this person was facing in their business. Well done, really well done. And I, I think you answered my question beautifully. And most of the folks that listen to this podcast really wanna find a way to be able to make the difference they were born to make. They wanna make the dent in the universe to use Steve Jobs' famous phrase mm-hmm. that really moves them, that inspires them to do this type of work in the first place. Because a lot of folks here, they, they might have had a corporate job at one point, you know, and they might have been really good at it, but it just wasn't speaking to them anymore. And there's nothing wrong with having a corporate job. Corporate jobs are great, and, and lots of people get a lot of value and benefit from them. But the type of person that has that spark within them, that gift from God that they know they're meant to share with the world, needs to find a way to do that. And that's why having guests like you on this show, sharing their wisdom on how this can be done is super, super important. Thank you. So, Jim, you're very welcome. Talk to us about how you work with CEOs. How is it that you help them take the principles that are in the book, CEO Tools version 2.0, and implement that in, in growing their business and taking it to the next level? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I find that people come to me typically with a series of, of issues that they're facing, and they really fall into five categories. There are people-related issues, there are process, how we do things around here issues, performance metrics issues, we're not delivering the results we hoped or thought. Those are the three that I typically see on the surface. And then after a little conversation, another one emerges and that I'll call personal leadership how they're showing up in the organization and what tweaks might uh, benefit them. And the last is I always say, tell me about the plans you have in place. And sometimes I find that the, the plans are a little loose. And, and that's where I usually start. I'll work with CEOs either monthly, individually, and I do that typically virtually, or I, I work with the whole team. When I do that, it's quarterly. I'll go in and work with the team once a quarter for a day, And then I have a few who want to work more frequently than that. And the process that I follow is first that setting direction, making sure that the organization is crystal clear on where they want to go directionally in a series of strategies over the next few years, where they want to go tactically, like what are they going to accomplish this year, this 12 months, we'll line up some metrics and some goals for each one of those. And that's the starting point. And then next, we start to introduce some key performance indicators. I usually give them a a quarter to work towards getting those together. And they're working to identify key performance indicators that if those numbers are moving in the right direction, so is the company. And if they're not, then the company suffers as a result. Next, we typically look at people. Do we have the right 
people inside the organization? Are they highly aligned to the mission, vision, and values of the organization? And are they delivering results? And if not, how can we coach them to get them more in, in line with those two outcomes? And then last, I always encourage every organization at least once a year to do our, our what's next exercise. And the what's next exercise is a way to scan the horizon. See if there's anything out there that we might take advantage of, an opportunity that is emerging. It also has us look backwards and make sure that nothing's gaining on us and sideways to make sure that we're not seeing competition from the sides. It's a way to, at least as much as possible, head off disruption before it becomes debilitating. And even at a point where we might be able to turn it into a competitive advantage. And then the next year, we start that process again with a review of the plans and setting tactics for the upcoming year. I love it. I absolutely love it. Jim, you know what? This has been one of my favorite interviews because you're just dropping gold left, right, and center. We like to end off each one of our podcast interviews by asking you, our expert guests, to share with our listener, what are your top three expert action steps that you recommend our listener take on in their business and frankly in their life to take both to the next level? What say you? You know, my first one is going to be a bit odd because it's not about business at all, yet I think it's one of the most important things we can do. And that is to really get on a great physical fitness program, diet and exercise, making sure that you're getting healthy food into your body, exercising on a regular basis, and mixing up the exercise to include classic aerobic exercise along with flexibility exercises like yoga. I think that unless we're physically fit, it's difficult to do the work we do. It takes a lot of energy, and you've got to have a way to restore and build that energy. Number two, I think it's consistency over time. I think too often, especially those who work in small environments or even for yourself or with yourself, it's, it's easy to deliver content and consulting until those clients run out and then all of a sudden turn around and realize we haven't really been stoking the marketing fires and we've got to run back to do that and now we forget to work with clients. I think consistent delivery of the two areas, we've got to deliver in execution, the content with clients and keep those clients happy. And at the same time, never lose that marketing focus of getting new people into the mix. And then the third for me is to constantly be thinking, what's next for me? Where, what do I think about next? What do I need to develop now? What will benefit me by starting the development process now, even though I know that I may not have it ready in a year or so? That keeps me from stagnating and allows me to continue to head for the next level of growth and development myself. You know what? These are three awesome expert action steps. So, Jim, your book is a great book, and I uh, highly recommend you, our listener, pick up a copy for yourself. Jim, what's the best way for them to get a hold of this book? The paperback's available on Amazon. And then since I've seen you last, Nikki, we have released the audio book. I recorded that myself. And it's available on Amazon, on iTunes, and on Audible. Okay, fantastic. Also, also, Nikki, for those who are looking for ways to serve their clients, we'll be starting a certified coaches licensing program in April of this year, of 2019. 
So if there's anyone out there who thinks that they might like to use the tools after they've read the book and would like think that they would benefit their local clients, we'd love to hear from them. You know what? That's fantastic. So we're going to make sure we put all those in the show notes, Jim. So that's available for folks. So folks, you can tell from listening to Jim that he's the real deal. And you can tell that what he has to share is absolute gold. It's going to make a difference for you. And if you're in the business of serving business people, it's definitely going to make a difference for your clients. So make sure you pick up a copy of the book and uh, make sure that uh, you look into what Jim and his team are going to be doing in 2019 in terms of launching this coaching certification program, if that's something you're moved to do. And Jim, what's the, the website that they can go to in order to do that? Pretty easy, ceotools.com. That's simple. We'll make sure all that information is in the show notes. So listener, you know that Jim Canfield is the real deal. But you might be wondering and asking yourself, can I be like Jim? Do I have what it takes to be a world-leading thought leader in my space? And maybe the chattering monkeys in your head are, are trying to convince you that you can't. But I'm here to tell you that, of course, you can. And you deserve it. If you've spent a lifetime garnering expertise in a particular area and you're really good at delivering a result for your clients, but you hate selling and you don't know how to get past this dilemma, the thought leader's dilemma of being good at what you do, but not being sure how you can sell authentically from the heart, I've got good news for you. We have a methodology that'll show you how to position yourself as the go-to thought leader in your space. We have a methodology that'll show you how to sell without coming across as salesy. And the best way for you to figure out if this can help you is for you to jump on a call with us. Very simple to do. You go to our website, ecircleacademy.com forward slash appointment. You click on that link and you'll book a call with myself or a member of my team. The call is absolutely free. And another way to get on that call is go, just go to the website, ecircleacademy.com and click on the button in the top right-hand corner, which says, book your success call right now. And when you do this, it's a three-step process. We call it the E-Circle Success System. Step one is you schedule the call. Step two is you sign up for one of our live workshops and you get trained on our incredible methodology. Step three, you put it all together and you learn how to sell without selling, how to attract clients through thought leadership, and you grow your business. Jim Canfield, thank you so much for being on the show, my friend. You rocked it today. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure, and I wish the absolute best for both you and your team and everyone who's listening. Thank you, Jim. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's amazing guest, the one and only Jim Canfield, go to the show notes of The Thought Leader Revolution. Com. And if you want to find out whether you have what it takes to be the Jim Canfield of your space, go to ecircleacademy.com forward slash appointment or ecircleacademy.com and click on the button in the top right-hand corner called Book Your Success Call. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.